to The Rule, your Sunday morning news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Teresa, and I am on air today with my co-hosts, Emily, Matt, and Jasmine. How's it going today, guys? Woo! Good. Yeah. <laughs> going good. Can you believe it's September? No. No, it's not. No, no, no. Hey, guess yeah. which, which administration I'm a member of. It is not September. They are lying <laughs> to you when they uh-huh. I know. I had it was like a cool crisp morning today. I was like, oh, let me make some tea. Mm, I love that. It got hot though, didn't it? I've been inside all day. I just look at the weather on my phone it's and like then I don't. It's extremely hot. It still yeah. feels very much like summer. <laughs> We yeah. still have like 18 days of summer left. I know. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I know. I see, the, I, see the sign, I see the sign for pumpkin and Duncan. I was mm. like, just stop, oh, yeah. people. Just stop. Well, I've been seeing Halloween stuff since like the beginning of August online. People are ready to call it like throw in the towel yeah where'd you see that the front page of the new york times <laughs> you know i feel like halloween's gonna be a look la- little lackluster this year everybody's yeah. already wearing masks yeah uh-huh. <laughs> 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 i made a funny okay <laughs> Good job, Teresa. All right, guys. So this week we'll be talking about a report on the Met Council on housing in New York, uh, more violence from Portland and a special segment from Matt about his upcoming project a year from now. So let's kick it off with today's episode with Emily taking our local news story. Sure thing. Uh, So this story comes from a September 1st article by, and excuse me if I pronounce the name wrong, um, S.A. Alum Hense. Um, on the city news outlet website uh, titled housing group tracks surge in calls from tenants unable to pay rent. So the Met Council on Housing, uh, a tenant advocacy organization, released a new report stating that from March to May of this year, their hotline, quote, received more than 400 calls from tenants who said they were unable to pay rent, while there were only 45 such calls during the same period last year. Uh, Quote, Met Council also saw a spike in calls during the pandemic from tenants looking to break leases, and complaints about illegal evictions also accounted for a higher share of calls than last year, even as New York imposed an eviction moratorium now set to end October 1st. Um, And we, we, on the show, we've talked about that previously, the, the end of that moratorium and the complications involved with that. Uh, so many of those who reach out to the Met Council were uh, rent burdened uh, even before the pandemic. And to be rent burdened means that you uh, that over 30 percent of a person's income goes to their rent. Uh, the report also notes that, quote, Lat- uh, Latino tenants were most likely to have lost income because of the pandemic. Uh, in its new report that the article was citing, uh, the Met Council on Housing describes itself as a, quote, tenants' rights membership organization made up of New York City tenants who believe in our motto of uh, housing for people, not profit. We formed 60 uh, years ago to fight for a city where everyone has access to safe, decent, and affordable housing. They also self-identify as a mutual aid organization with tenants helping tenants and encouraging those, uh, quote, those who receive help from us to become an a- uh, to become active in our campaigns for housing justice. So the group's director of advocacy, uh, Andrea Sh- uh, Shapiro, is quoted in the city article as saying, quote, a lot of people just don't know where they're going to live, which is terrifying. And warn that a lot of tenants are, quote, signing bad deals with landlords about repayment that they can't possibly repay uh, in an attempt to keep their housing stable. She noted that some are leaving apartments and moving in with friends or family, which increases risk of exposure during the pandemic. 
She also said, quote, I know all articles, uh, a lot of articles about people leaving the city are about, um, sorry, I think I wrote this down wrong, but she says uh, that there's articles about people leaving the city are about rich people leaving the city. We also have to remember that poor people are leaving the city, uh, end quote. So yeah, that's the story, guys. And I know we've talked a lot about uh, rent issues on the show even before the pandemic, but just the way that the pandemic has exacerbated those issues is really pushing a lot of issues to a head. What are you guys thinking? What What was the number of calls that you said they got? It was up from last year. Yeah, so uh, it's 10 times higher. So they got yeah. 400 calls this year uh, in a period where last year they only got 45 calls. Yeah, I heard the second. I missed the first number, but it, mm-hmm. it's really, it's not shocking. You know, even on some listservs I'm on, it seems like every day there's people trying to find someone to move in mm-hmm. to make up for lost rent and stuff. It, the rents do not seem to be going down from what I'm seeing. I, I, from anecdotal experience, I've seen landlords making some landlords making, um, I've heard of landlords making exceptions for people who are in tight spots, but I think that's very anecdotal. Um, and yet like there were reports that Manhattan at least is seeing like, you know, the most vacancies and or something like that, like pushing down the market to the lowest it's been in like 10 years or something like that. Um, but I'm I don't know where in Manhattan that is. I don't know which neighborhoods that's referencing. If it's uh, if it's only for high income housing, you know, I'm not sure. There is a to confuse things more on the media. Just did a a short podcast extra where they interviewed a real estate journalist who noticed that all these stories about people leaving uh, the city. Uh, either New York city or just like all these big cities is a bit of a, isn't necessarily uh, what's occurring. It was just like in the spring, people couldn't move. So there's just like built up uh, demand kind of flooding the market right now. Not that that really has anything to do with landlords evicting people. Uh, But I'm still trying to wrap my head around how does the CDC's, eviction moratorium thing tie into this was was that what the thing that was just extended for one more month or was that or is that a different thing jasmine i think that's what your story was on two weeks ago was the the moratorium i don't think it's the cdc i think it was what was it there jasmine was, there was, was it? some no that was, there was something separate that just happened that the cdc right. announced but i think that that's like the end of this year or something got it got it yeah so this is the new new york is a state imposed uh an eviction moratorium and i think they extended it but it was as we talked about on the show if i remember correctly only for people whose eviction cases were filed like after the pandemic started or after like march 17th or something like that yeah like so Um, that that's more of like a local thing right was that the city i think i guess new york yeah i think the cdc i mean it's weird that the cdc was able to extend an eviction moratorium because it's the cdc but their argument is it's a public health thing um and i think that is goes till the end of 2020 and the the rule is if there's anything more forgiving than what the cdc did then that is what the law is but if any state 
has less protections than this CDC eviction moratorium, then the CDC's eviction moratorium uh, comes into action. But I think that's why they might have put it there, Matt. Like that might be why they are jumping in this debate when they normally wouldn't, because states are, you know, everybody's doing their own thing. So maybe that one, I do remember it saying that it was covered to the end of the year. Um, so I don't know if it would override, but that would make sense why they're even in the conversation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh- I, I haven't heard of the CDC being able to set any inf- like enforceable policy before it. All I've ever heard is of the CDC, or I think of it as like a recommendation or, you know, network, right? Where they like, the CDC recommends that you don't do this and you do do this. But like, I've never thought of it as an organization that's able to enforce policy, which is interesting. Yeah, I think it is. But I, I share with you, only because I, I saw a little bit of it on, on the news hour. Sometimes I watch PBS to see like what what that uh, that shade of uh, media how they report on it, but there is something you can file for, but it's not something that automatically happens. So if anybody is, and you know, we I, I could be wrong. I'm not. I didn't uh, research this story, but if anybody is facing eviction, I think there's something you can do to at least get it uh, postponed until the end of the year. But it's not an immediate thing that that just is activated for everyone. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. I, I really, um, the part of the story I read with the, the tenants organization, um, talking about how some tenants are signing these deals that are just going to push them further into financial trouble. Um, I thought that was, like not only heartbreaking, but also reminiscent of a lot of the systems in this country that function to like keep poor people poor, right? Like terrible interest loan rates and things like that. Um, yeah, that, was, mm. that bothered me a lot. And the I most, just like- had a- yeah, it's just pushing back the inevitable because it's not like you're forgiving the rent. Even the CDC thing, it doesn't release you from having to pay back rent. It's yeah, just- exactly. The marshal can't come and take you away or the sheriff or whoever does the evictions. They're saying that they don't have the power to physically move you out, but you're still going to be a financial ruin whenever it is eventually lifted. Yeah, I just had a conversation with a friend of mine who lives upstate New York, and they have uh, some of these same policies going for more suburban areas with people in their um, you know, their mortgages. And it's like, oh, you could just tack it on to the end of the the terms. But it's almost like if you've been paying a mortgage for 15 years, you know, this is really just kind of derailing your whole plan um, that you may have had to get up out of that mortgage and be able to move on with your life. So it's really unfortunate that this is happening to everyone. And, you know, I was just thinking about that the other day, like, why am I paying this high ass rent? Hello, it's the first of the month. Like, this is not the same situation it was earlier this year. Um, yeah. Is is uh, Emily, did you say rent burden means 30 more than 30% your income? Yeah. I didn't fact check that, but that's what the article said and it really yeah, I've a lot of people before, yeah. 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 A lot of people are, you know, living like check to check and it, it losing your job for months at a time and not having an ability to go back to work is really going to like I, I've seen a lot of like people who have insight into that sort of 
world saying that like something terrible is going to happen soon if if the federal government doesn't step in Mm. i mean what can the federal government really do i don't know i mean yeah maybe you could but you could do like a complete like if you forgive rent that makes a huge thing because you're not if you're accumulating every month that you owe that debt it would make a huge difference to just not have that like if they just canceled the rent yeah yeah and, you know, I don't understand the intricacies of it. I think that that's about bank loans yeah. at the heart of it. Um, and I, yeah, and I mean, money, <laughs> the heart of all of it, you know, well, we, always. We know the history of this country. One person, yeah. the people they like to save is the bank. So, yep, yep, <sighs> always. Uh, uh, uh. All right, guys. <laughs> that's all I got to say on that. Uh, yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing that story with us, Emily. I know that um, many of us, including the the four of us on this call, um, are New Yorkers trying to, you know, stay engaged and still be able to pay rent and, and continue to be New Yorkers. So we shall see what happens as we move yeah. forward in this I mean, call. I'm actually Jersey again soon. Oh, wow. Yeah. My family home was always there, but yeah, I'm leaving to for cheaper pastures. Wow, you're myself. leaving. On the <laughs> I'll be nearby. I would have paid you like some some like boys to men, like ah, to say goodbye to yeah. I'll be nearby. I'll be nearby. <laughs> Don't worry. Okay, we won't, we won't take your Brooklyn car car from you. Okay. We won't <laughs> take your Brooklyn car from you. We'll let you rock out. No, I'm Thank taking you. it. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you at the Jersey Shore, guys. I grew up there anyway. It's fine. All right, cool. All right. Anyway, yeah. Well, let's take a first music break for today. It's September, and we have some new music for you. The first track comes today from R&B sisters Chloe and Hallie. This is the Do It remix featuring Doja Cat, City Girls, and Mulatto. We'll be right back. What's that sound like? When you know that this my song This ain't really the night to blow me up I ditch my phone Five shots, ready to party Throwing it back as principal Throwing it back like fish and pearl Throwing it back like fish and pearl All of your junk like <laughs> Physical That's just how we do it Not a rhyme or a reason We signing broads in the front While you look off in the bleachers We pulling up the way we do To keep the audience tweeting The farther we going up It's like the harder they reaching If you see my titties I tell them record it And keep it a couple twins Sitting pretty No Victoria's yeah. sick I'll be my face, moving fast cause the Uber on the way Taking pictures, make sure you can't see no less That week secure like the money in a set I look like bad, now I'm on the way Let you know when I'm about a mile away When I'm outside, please don't make me wait The party's starting when we pull up to the gate
And now for our national news story, Jasmine, what do you have for us today? Okay, so this information is coming to you directly from uh, NPR. The name of the article is Suspect and Fatal Shooting of Portland Right-Wing Protester Killed by Law Enforcement. Um, The write-up was done by Conrad Wilson, Kimberly Frieda, and Scott Newman. So according to the U.S. Marshal Service, Michael Renault, R-E-I-N-O-E-H-L, the man who claimed responsibility for the fatal shooting on August 29th of Patriot Prayer supporter Aaron Danielson in Portland, was shot and killed by law enforcement officers in Olympia, Washington. Members of the U.S. Marshal Service Pacific Northwest Violent Offender Task Force quote, located Renault in Olympia and attempted to peacefully arrest him. Initial reports say the suspect produced a gun and threatened officers. The officers shot and killed the suspect in this, on the scene in response. According to the Olympian newspaper, Renault was spotted as he left an apartment headed towards a vehicle. Four officers from three different jurisdictions fired weapons at him and witnesses say that they heard 40 to 50 shots. Um, In the write-up that I saw, the witnesses say that um, Renault had uh, an automatic weapon and began shooting, but the official report doesn't say that. In an interview with Vice conducted by freelance journalist Donovan Farley this week, Renault appeared to acknowledge shooting Danielson. Farley reported that Renault said he went downtown Saturday night to provide security for racial justice protesters who felt threatened by a caravan of Trump supporters that paraded through the city center. Um, He also says if you watch the actual, the interview with him, he says that he didn't know what was happening that day until he saw it driving with his son through the city. Renault said he and a friend ended up in a standoff with a man he says had a knife. According to him, he said, had I, stepped, had I stepped forward, he would have maced or stabbed me. I was confident that I did not hit anyone innocent and I made my exit. Renault told Vice he considered the shooting an act of self-defense. He had not been arrested or publicly named as either a suspect or, personal, or person of interest in the killing prior to his death. Uh, His sister was interviewed for this article. I'm not going to go too much into what she says about him, but she described her brother as erratic and self-destructive. He was a professional snowboarder, 48 years old, and he appears to have attended many of the nightly protests. Um, One thing that's of note is his social media presence shows a dramatic shift at the end of May. So before May 30th, he was posting like pictures of him hiking, his children, his dogs. 
nature, stuff like that. But then after May 30th, his posts were almost exclusively scenes from Portland's protests. Um, Danielson, the man who was killed, died from a single gunshot wound to the chest. He was a supporter of the far-right regional political group Patriot Prayer. And at times, members of this group have sprayed racial justice protesters with pepper spray from the back of pickup trucks. And on some occasions, they've driven um, vehicles in the cam in caravans through crowds of counter demonstrators. So the article goes on to explain that Ren Renault had several run-ins with the law with the law this past summer and also in the past. Uh, on his Instagram, he was writing things such as, it might be time to take a new perspective on things. Things are bad right now and they can only get worse, but that is how a radical change comes about. On June 6th, he wrote that on June the 3rd. On the 16th of June, he wrote that he was among the many protesters who he said didn't know where their actions would lead. He says, I am 100% Antifa all the way. I'm willing to fight for my brothers and sisters. We do not want violence, but we will not run from it either. In the same post, Renault wrote that there was an opportunity to fix everything, but it will be like a it will be like a fight like no other. It will be a war, and like all wars, there will be casualties. So yeah, like the a lot of the article goes into his um, relationship with his sister or his sister's perspective on him. Um, I also did watch the actual interview, and according to the Vice write up. He was involved for several years um, with Antifa, or he referred to himself as like being a part of a movement, whereas the article from NPR makes it seem like it was more of a sudden random thing. Um, he did talk about feeling like people were after him in the aftermath of the shooting. So it's a, it's a very complicated story with a lot that we really don't know. And now, unfortunately, the man is dead. So you can't ask him further questions. Wow. Um, wow. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to just like even put it all together. You said he got shot 50 times, 5-0. No, witnesses say that they heard, there were witnesses on the scene when he was killed, and they said that they heard 40 to 50 shots fired total. Wow. So okay. we don't know who, who was shooting right. them, but there were multiple law enforcement officers that were shooting. We don't know how many shots he fired or if he fired any yet. Got it. Right. Okay. Got it. Yeah, that is a lot. Mm-hmm. What does... Yeah. I mean, with with stories like this, where there, there's so many political, uh, so many ways for people to use it politically, I feel like there's an urge to have a response, you know, to the story. Like, is it about uh, this or that or whatever? Um, but I mean, when you take a step back, it's it's like a series of events, and it's just kind of like so much is in there that it's it's hard to resist the urge to like use the story or to think about it with the previous coloring of of all you know what we've heard about antifa what we've heard about uh guns and protests what we've heard about uh right wing militias you know what i mean yeah uh, yeah that's a really i think i i i appreciate that perspective a lot cuz i feel like that sort of does describe like i 
yeah, I'm not even, it's an important story. Like we need to be talking about it, but I don't know if I'm able to like produce like a lesson from it or like a takeaway from it. It's just, I think for me, like, I don't really know a lot about Antifa, except that I know that like the president like uses it as like shorthand for like the enemy, you know what I mean? And like as a scare tactic, but I really don't know and much about people who are self-identified as part of that movement. Well, the, the thing is, it's not, unlike a lot of the right-wing groups, it's not a defined organization because it's just a shorthand for anti-fascist. And one of the issues is that um, we don't, we, there's a lot of question marks about this person and there's a lot of questions I have about the story. Like I find, he says in the interview that his lawyer had advised him not to say anything. So it's odd that he would have a publicized interview with his full face and name where he's admitting to something like this and it would be run like regular news. Like there was and the images of him on social media, like it I, I got the impression from him that he was someone who in his own words seemed to have like noble ideas, but I got a lot of hero martyr type vibes. Where, you know, like, I, it's odd to have your full face on a camera taking pictures of yourself everywhere if you're involved in these types of activities, you know. So I'm waiting to hear more information, but there's a lot of question marks and a lot of ways it can be used and misused. Yeah, I think, honestly, like, the fact that he could be involved with this organization and have his face, you know, plastered all over everything kind of speaks to the times. Because I feel like there's no veil anymore on anything, especially on the bullshit. Um, And, you know, whether you're a martyr, whether you're a bigot, whether whatever side of the argument you stand on, you're being empowered to to be out there um, and kind of make what you think um, appropriate in this Mm -hmm. climate that we live in. And that really is a huge distraction and confusion to people that's trying to figure out what's really happening over there. You know what I mean? Like, not to say that his life didn't matter more than anyone else's. I'm just saying that, you know, the chain of events around all of this, and now he's not here to speak about it. Well, I'm actually not surprised, so. Yeah, and there's also people who are bringing up the very real reality of things like COINTELPRO and, like, the history of um, government organizations deliberately embedding individuals to do certain things. And then if they don't fall in line or like once they've already done what they've expected, getting rid of them, like, we don't know if that's the case with this person, but it's like, we don't know if this was someone who was kind of acting on his own and he just had this idea in his head, he was going to be a hero. We don't know if he was involved in something organized, you know, cause Antifa is not, it's just an adjective. It's not like a set group of people with leadership or anything. There's yeah. just so much that we don't know. So I'm I'm hoping as time goes on, we get more from other people who knew him. Like in the article, they keep mentioning his sister and she has a, it seemed like she had a pretty negative view of her brother, but she also mentions that they were estranged for three years. She hadn't seen him. So I'm like, she doesn't know what he was doing in that time or you know, what was in his mind. So I don't really know how much you can rely on even what she's saying, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, it sounds like he had, you know, he was planning on, uh, you know, he came to protests and armed and sounded like he was 
ready to do shit and he killed the guy and that's pretty fucked up and i i'm i hope that when all of the critics of protesters try to use him as an example of like what not to do that they remember that that's what is that's what you're not supposed to do regardless of uh like his political leanings you know yeah, but I I I also would like to say that, you know, in the face of like in this story, for example, there was a caravan that had a particular route that was approved like of the Trump supporters and stuff. And the police's role was to keep them from going downtown so that there would not be a conflict between the caravan and the people who had been protesting. And pe- there were people in the caravan that made a conscious decision to split off and deliberately go into the area where the um black lives matter protesters were so there is something to be said for the fact that you know when you have people on the far right that are extremely organized and they have the goal of starting violence you when you're in a position where now you're faced with that it does make sense for you to be thinking you should be ready to to defend yourself but this particular individual like i don't really know like what his full story was you know because i someone is coming at me with a rifle, you know, or we've seen people getting run over by far right protesters. I don't think the response to that has, should be like, Oh, let's just take, take it so that we look like the good guys when we're dead, you know? Wow. There's so much more to to uncover. This gives me like scandal vibes. Like anybody used to watch scandal. Remember B613? (laughs) I didn't watch it, but I agree. Like it's, I think a lot's gonna come out in the future, but we'll just have to wait and see what the full story is because this just happened. He was just killed last night, so. Wow. I feel like we we say that more and more on this show. Like more to come. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah, definitely stay tuned. Thank you for that story, Jasmine. Uh, Definitely something that we need to pay close attention to see how it rolls out. Um, We're going to take another musical break before we get into the world news and our special segment. So this song is a special tribute to the world's fallen king, the one and only late great Black Panther Chadwick Boseman, who passed away last weekend after his four-year battle with colon cancer. Um, We had uh, recorded the show before it all happened, just the night before it all happened. And then, um, yeah, it was a long weekend. I was definitely really affected by this loss. Yeah. Yeah, Um, it was so sad. Definitely. um, I know people across the world are, will be mourning this loss for a long time. So uh, to his family, definitely prayers up to all the people, especially the kids who are greatly affected by this fallen hero. Um, Let's just try our best to be our own Black Panthers in our own lives. So this song is Pray For Me by The Weeknd and Kendrick Lamar. We'll be right back. Tell me who's gonna save me 
I fight the world, I fight you, I fight myself. I fight God, just tell me how many burdens left. I fight pain and hurricanes, today I wept. I'm trying to fight back tears, flood on my doorsteps. Life in living hell, puddles of blood in the street. Shooters on top of the building, government aid ain't relief. Earthquake, the body drop, the ground breaks. The poor run with smoke lungs and scarred face. Who need a hero? Hero. Need a hero, look in the mirror, there go your hero. Who on the front lines at ground zero? Hero. My heart don't skip a beat, even when hard times bumps the needle. Mass destruction and mass corruption, the souls are suffering men. Clutching on deaf ears again, rapture is coming. It's all prophecy, and if I gotta be sacrificed for the greater good, then that's what it gotta you be. for our international news story. So this week I am bringing you the latest from Russia's Russia's COVID vaccine. Um, This material has been drawn from the Wall Street Journal and Al Jazeera. So nearly a month after approving the coronavirus vaccine, Russia published positive data from early clinical trials of the shot. It's called Sputnik V, which is a reference to the satellite it launched into orbit ahead of the U.S. during the Cold War. Uh, Sputnik. I know. There used to be a bar in Brooklyn called Sputnik when I first moved there. Anyway, uh, Russia's results published Friday were based on phases one and two um, of of two groups. Phases one and two trials of two groups of 38 adults. And it showed the levels of the virus neutralizing antibodies of inoculated volunteers um, was 1.4 to 1.5 times higher than the level of antibodies a patient who had recovered in a patient who had recovered from COVID-19. The findings published in the British British Medical Journal, The Lancet on Friday, showed that the shot was safe to use and generated immune response in all of its 76 test subjects. Officials say they expect mass vaccinations to begin by end of this year and that it would take up to 12 months to inoculate most of Russia's population. But Moscow's self-declared victory Uh, created a stir among the global scientific community about the vaccine's registration um, because it was based only on early stage trials and there is no scientific data that has been published. Some health experts warned against its use as the vaccine had not completed its phase three trial, which involves wild scale testing with thousands of participants. So at least 3,000 people have already been recruited for a large scale trial of Sputnik V. And they are looking to have those results 
um, sometime by late October or early November. More than 170 coronavirus vaccines are in development globally, including 34 that have been started that have started being tested on humans, according to the World Health Organizations. Russia's results published Friday um, showed a few other things about the vaccine itself. It led to the formation of T-cell immunity in all subjects, and researchers found that it did not produce, produce serious side effects. About 58% of the people who received the vaccine reported pain at the injection site, and 50% reported higher body temperatures. The vaccine uses a method developed since the 1950s to create what is known as an antinovirus vector vaccine. So it's similar to the flu, uh, that the flu vaccine. That kind of shot uses a genetically altered form of a harmless virus that causes the common cold, known as the antinovirus, to serve as a vehicle for a fragment of genetic material from the new virus. This genetic material, um, which is an S protein, is safe for the body, but still helps the immune system to react and produce antibodies, which protect it from an infection. The vaccine is administered in two shots, with each based on a different antinovirus vector, which Russian scientists say achieves a stronger immune response. Uh, Russia has said that it expects to produce between 1.5 million and 2 million doses per month of its potential COVID-19 vaccine by the end of the year, gradually increasing production to 6 million doses a month. So that is where we are. Uh, many people in the West are saying that they don't approve of them using it uh, for the large-scale trial because if there are any other side effects that can happen, um, you know, or any, you know, if it takes a turn for the worse, they don't have an antidote for that. So yeah, here we are. Um, what do you guys think? I'm, I'm, I'm personally afraid of the vaccine and I'm a person who received vaccine my whole life. I'm not a person who don't believes in them. I understand people who don't like to take them. Um, but when I was growing up, you know, that's just the way of the world. So but for some reason for this one, I feel highly opposed to being, to trying it within the first year of it. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I needed to be out for a whole year before I even attempt to go there. But yeah, what was the, the test size? Did you say 76 people? Yeah. 76 people. Yeah. That's not enough people. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like, and now you're mass producing. Like, I, yeah, that's no way. I don't know. This story I mean, made me think of two things. Like once I, I listened to an interview a few months ago at the beginning of the pandemic with an epidemiologist and she used the analogy of, you know, science takes time. So just like, you know, for a woman to get pregnant, you got to wait nine months for a baby. It doesn't, you still have to wait nine months, whether it's one woman pregnant or a hundred pregnant women. You know, having a bunch of teams doesn't mean like you still need that time to go through the process. And this is like the other thing. It reminds me of that scene, you know, in Willy Wonka, the movie when they're looking for the golden ticket and they go to like all the different countries and they're like losing their shit. And there's like, what's her name? Um, the one I want it now. And she has all these. Yeah, I watched that last week. Yeah, me too. I watched it last week. I got it. I got it. So now they're like, <laughs> we have the vaccine. It's like, well, do you? Like, is it really safe? Or is it going to kill you in a year? Because, you know, 
the ones we have yeah. now, it, we live with those diseases for generations, and then eventually yeah. they found something. This we we don't mm. even know everything about the disease. Exactly. Right. They did the report did say that they did some testing on some younger people as well. Um, so they had, you know, I guess some of, I, I guess maybe that helped them feel like they did something cause the age range, you know, was, um, vast, but I mean, come on, like 76 yeah. people, this is a global I, people. No, I know. Yeah. I do want to clarify that. Like if, if there's, if they're like the phase three testing, like is sh- like, there are some, like there, if they go through like the act, the accurate and scientifically proven like safety procedures, like the ones in that I'm hoping in this country are going through, like I will probably get one. Um, but like, I don't know. My dad has told like, I'm not, I do believe in vaccines. I want to make that very clear. And I also know that this is a strange time because they do usually take a really long time. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I, I, you know, I've been reading a lot about this since this all started. And like, they say that the last, the shortest one before this to ever come out for a vaccine was like, for like the measles I think and it took four years in the 50s but like that was the 1950s so it's sort of like I, I can imagine that they would have spent you know just the amount of scientific progress that happens in 70 years mm-hmm. like I, I would I think believe that it's possible to come up with a safe one by early next year but that being said I am skeptical of just you know like off the shelf they did it on less than 100 people testing my dad um told me anecdotally I also haven't fact-checked this but he remembers when he was in college in the 70s that there was some really wild like swine flu type of thing going around and there was this um vaccine being like produced that ended up like paralyzing some people wow um yeah and I you know I didn't fact-check that but he, he my dad isn't anti-vaxxer either like he I've got all my vaccines he had a fucking smallpox vaccine because <laughs> he was born in the 50s <laughs> but um yeah, like, but like, just to be skeptical of things rushing out because it, it could kill you. It could cause other damage if it's not um, tested yeah. rigorously. I think that yeah. was Gerald Ford rushed a vaccine. Oh, you you know about that story? I, th- I think I saw like a headline because someone yeah. was doing a, a write up of it. Um, yeah, that would have been the right time period for sure. One thing, yeah. one thing I would be excited for is for just a neutral country that know mm-hmm. to come up with Sweden. the vaccine so Switzerland, yeah. <laughs> Switzerland. <laughs> because yeah if, if Trump comes out with the vaccine people have already said people that previously weren't anti-vax are like I'm not going to trust it you know if 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 the uh you know the next president hopefully not Trump comes out with something you know it's just so tainted with all this ugly politics but I would just love it if like just you know some researchers yeah. in Guam like got it together and so people were just like, oh, we don't have too many opinions about Guam. Let's, let's we'll take this vaccine. Guam, Guam is a U.S. territory, it so is. I wouldn't be so quick to pick <laughs> yeah. that as an example. But. I, that's, that's yeah, sorry. I feel like the, the trust in institutions and in things that we tend to think of as, of as objective, it has been so thoroughly eroded in this country yeah. in particular that like you're saying, Matt, you know, I'm someone who does very much. We already have people that are anti-vax for, you know, cockamamie reasons. And now, like, we have these situations where, like, hospitals are not allowed to directly give their numbers to the CDC. Like, there's people actively suppressing scientific research or suppressing results and being pressured into lying about things. And we're all aware of it. 
So a lot of those of us who do believe in the scientific method and the and medical processes and all of this, we believe in it, but it's like that's if everyone is playing by the rules that make those things safe and we no longer have that guarantee. So that makes everything seem so it just casts like all these aspersions on what's going on that, you know, I'm scared for what you're going to have people that refuse to take it because they don't believe in vaccines, period. You're going to have people that don't take it because they don't believe in this particular one because of who's behind it. People that take it yeah. too soon and then if something goes wrong, then everyone's like, I don't want it. I just. It's yeah, scary. I mean, it's also like, you know, trusting that Russia is the people that are, you know, the country that is creating the vaccine. I mean, there are 170 of them globally being worked on right now. According to the article, 34 of them have been tested on animals. I mean, on animals, on humans, um, but also um, a shot called. We are animals, aren't we? Yeah, that's true. Definitely Terrible. feeling like that today. Um, <laughs> but a shot um, is also being co-developed. And we've probably seen this um, on your local news by AstraZeneca. Um, and they said that one is in phase three. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, I think they're the first ones to really put it out there that they've had this much. I would definitely want to see how what the outcomes are from these other um, pe- these other organizations that are creating it to see if they have different numbers. So there are some that are in clinical trials. We shall see um, the ones from the Wall Street Journal. It looks like uh, the candidates are Chinese drug makers, Sinovac Biotech and China National Biotech Group. So we shall see if they publish anything about their results. Yeah, I'm just waiting. You know, time is going to tell. I'm not taking it first. I can tell you that much. That's right. Keep taking your zinc and vitamin C. Wash your hands, people. Mm -hmm. And cover your face. That's right. Cover your face. Yes. All right, Matt. And for our final segment, why don't you tell us about this awesome project you have been working on? Yes. uh, I'm working on a series called A Year From Now. It'll be a podcast. Uh, We interview people. We're going through something, recovering from something, about to do something big. And then we sit on that interview for an entire year. And then we do a follow-up. I've interviewed this lady who's moving in with her mom. And her mom is uh, recovering from a drug addiction and uh, post-traumatic stress. And I've known her for a bit of time. We kind of go back a little bit. um, But she's a delightful person. So it's kind of like, you know... Let's hope that her her mom um, her mom and her have like a good good next year. Uh, we've also interviewed like a circus troupe that um, that went into bankruptcy, defaulted on their their space, so they're getting kicked out. Where would they be in a year? Uh, one person who's getting deployed to Syria. Um, uh, there's my buddy. Was the cir- the circus troupe you you did a segment with them that you aired on the show previously? Right? Yes, uh, the Muse. Yeah, I remember that. The Muse. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know they got evicted. Well, they're not evicted yet, but they've defaulted. Okay. And so they're certainly not going to be in that space. Uh, mm-hmm. The best case scenario, they think, is like moving up somewhere a little bit outside of the city, somewhere kind of in the country uh, to kind of like have this learning zone area um, so people can like really work on their stuff and, and like kind of have like a nice little touring company. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of cool stories i'm looking for more so if anybody knows somebody who's about to do something big um hit me up but 
but yeah, I, I thought since it's like a future prediction show, it'd be fun to uh, to go around the round table and see if anybody had any hopes, dreams, future predictions about where we'll be in a year. Will we even be on the show? Will it be a new crop of uh, uh, people that object the rules? Well, I'd love to put something out there, Matt, because you know I have a couple of different projects going on. So I'll take a stab at it. Yeah, what you got? Um, Well, I do hope to still be doing the show in the year, though I may not be a New Yorker. So that is um, something, but I'm still going to be a New Yorker and on my heart. So that's one thing um, I'm hoping actually to move to the West Coast. So I have been doing some you research too? and see what I could do. Yeah, me Are too. Are you kidding girl. me? Absolutely. I have uh, just a opportunity uh, because the way that the, the year is going, if we go back on quarantine, I may be broadcasting from Southern California. So we shall see. Um I'm also hoping that my showcase, Liberation, um, becomes a sponsor showcase and can showcase the art of more, um, you know, revolutionary acts or just people who care about social justice issues. I would love for it to turn into a series. Um, Not exactly sure where it would fit in mainstream media, which I'm fine with it not doing that, but I would like it to be a world stage and showcase some um, up and coming dope art. So that would be really great. That'd be beautiful. And What's pulling you to California? Um, this high ass rent. And um, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm going to be stuck in a house, I want to be stuck somewhere beautiful. So I've never lived near the ocean um, and I've never lived near the mountains. So I just feel like I put a lot of work into New York and I'm just ready for the next chapter. That's beautiful. Yeah. And other than that, I mean, hey, maybe I'll have dreadlocks or something. Who knows? But that'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a couple things I'm looking for. But we could go into more detail at another time, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, well, good luck. The Liberation, I, I caught the end of the last one. Um, and the, the community is really starting to percolate, isn't it? Well, actually, I don't know. I don't know what your what the numbers were, but everyone was like really into it last time I saw yeah, I mean, it's definitely growing. We've had some very interesting voices. I love this past show. We had um, a woman who was 61, who was a award-winning poet and motivational speaker in London. Uh, she was from Trinidad and had uh, was working on lots of projects about her history. But I love the fact that the show is growing to reach different um, you know, age groups and hoping to bridge the gap on that looking for some youth poets for the next show. So I would love to hear the voices of um, the people that are on the ground right now. So yeah, I've got high dreams, hopes and aspirations for that. Yeah, I think right it's going to be great. Emily, do you have any political predictions? Does, does anyone have any? Oh no, I stopped doing that after 2016. <laughs> <laughs> it broke me. Uh, I'm just, I'm probably going to, be nauseous that night honestly just from anxiety um or i guess we won't know right away you probably we probably won't know for a couple of weeks this right november is going to be rough <laughs> that's my prediction emotionally for me personally yeah, <laughs> and maybe for a lot of people what yeah. do you want to see out, out of the next year me mm-hmm. um well so i mean i think i'm i'm a very i'm i what the what has what this whole experience has showed me is that I'm very good at not leaving my apartment for weeks at a time. Um, and I'm prepared for 
I'll to go back into lockdown. I think I was reading some stuff about how New York City officials are are they're just kind of they're they're baffled as to why the the numbers are still low in New York City. They really don't know why, and they really do think that once the weather gets colder and people are pushed indoors, that um we're gonna see spikes like other parts of the country. Um, I'm hoping that doesn't happen. I'm hoping that somehow New York City, you know, has a magical sort of protection on it um, and the surrounding region. But we'll see. And I think uh, or not, I think uh, my my best friend, Jamie, actually, she's been trying to get me to move to Barcelona for like three years. And um, we've kind of decided that once the pandemic's over, we're probably going to move to Barcelona. You, so a year from now, hopefully the pandemic's over and, yeah. and I'm, I'm checking in with you through some like yeah. Zoom call in in Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm with Teresa. Like if we, if there's a way to do the show remotely still, you know what I mean? Like for at least some people that I think that'd be yeah, cool to still be a part of that, this. Uh, the, the Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, are still are, up and running. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess they, they've learned how to, if, I mean, it, I, I don't, the, there's no, or the overhead is, doesn't include salaries. So it might be easier for them than other organizations since it's volunteer based hmm. to stay open. I think. Jasmine, do you have any, do you have any dream policy or anything that you would love if it was enacted a year from now? Um, I was going to talk about something personal, if you don't mind. Oh, of course. So I, I just, in a year from now, I would like to manifest having a real, true one-bedroom apartment. Hopefully with like a washer and dryer, but I've lived in New York full-time for over 10 years now, and I've had a studio for a while. I've lived in a studio before, and I really... I feel like I'm in a season of life where I just want to have more space and really feel like I have a true home. And with everything that's happening, I guess this is a policy thing. Like I really wish that there w that there will be significant changes made to make housing affordable for everyone, if not free. So I'm I'm hoping mm -hmm. that a year from today, like we see some true systemic overarching change that helps everyone and takes a chip at homelessness and people being cramped and people spending half of their monthly salary just to have a roof over their head um not just in new york but everywhere but you know specifically for my personal dream i would like for that to happen in new york city can you give us a a virtual walkthrough of your ideal space a year from now not really, no. <laughs> just basic, just basic, like a standalone kitchen, a standalone bedroom, and a living space. That would, that's really, that's all I want. It's simple, but it's so hard to do. Like if you don't have a lot of money, you know, like there's a lot of people in my life who are, you know, older than me. They make a lot more money than me, but they're still, you know, living with multiple people because the rent is just that high. So I'm hoping that we'll see fewer and fewer of these, you know, billionaire buildings just sitting empty and people on the street and we'll have a more equitable housing situation or at least be making real strides to that in New York. You know, like I, 
I'm hopeful that the city is going to ultimately be a better, more equitable place. I just think it's going to take us some time to get there. But um, I do hope in a year that we're somewhat closer. Hmm. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I can't wait to jump jump a year and, and check back and look back and see see how we're all doing. All right. I think I think that's about time if if I calculated correctly. Yeah. Do we have um just about yeah, yeah to take it. us out? I can, perhaps I can. No, um, I said I could. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I was gonna say I'm gonna have to toss it right back to you for the final music. Yeah. I got you. So that's it for this week's objection to the rule. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch all of our older episodes on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org or on the Radio Free Brooklyn app on Spotify or anywhere you can find iTunes podcasts. Listen up next for more independent Brooklyn media. Our final track of the day. This is another new one. This is called This Is Bomb by St. Panther. Panther. We'll see you next week. Bye. 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 I love you cause you call me out on my rules I guess I'm back on my rules Love you cause you call me out on my rules